it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for listening all week long. Uh, we have a lot to discuss today and some surprising topics, uh, to say the least. Admiral James Stavridis will handle it all, uh, talk about Ukraine, and along with what's going on with China, as well as the Secretary of State's imminent visit there. Uh, and then we're going to look at the economy. The economy added 500,000-plus jobs this past period. Wow. 500,000, they expected 185. Why was that number so extraordinarily high? I'm glad the number looks positive, but all I'm seeing is Walmart, uh, Goldman Sachs, all these people laying off workers, Amazon, and yet the numbers on the other side just keep adding unemployment drops um, while people statistically keep tapping into their 401k to make ends meet. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. I am Muslim. I am an immigrant. And interestingly, from Africa. Is anyone surprised that I am being targeted? Please. Omar is out. Elon Omar, unsavory behavior and beliefs, got her ousted from the House majority uh, from Foreign Relations Committee. All is very dramatic fashion. You just heard the Democratic response. It is going to, you're going to hear it shortly. It is unhinged. Number two. China has plenty of uh, low Earth orbit satellites that have much greater visibility and much higher clarity and can do a lot better spying than, than what this thing does. So that's why I think this is probably some sort of message. China offensive. A spy balloon flies over our nukes in Montana as Chinese companies buying up private schools and boarding schools. Chinese real estate companies are scooping up our land in and around military facilities and pouring hundreds of millions into our colleges. What will it take for this administration to realize we're under a slow motion invasion? Number one. It seemed that the letter was an implicit admission I'd say almost a, a, an express admission that this w- was his data. I don't know why they didn't realize it up until now, the, the import of what they had done. Yeah, they had that a letter two days ago yesterday that said that they, the laptop is Hunter's and he's going to sue the laptop repair owner who cycled the information when they had no legal grounds to do it since he abandoned the laptop and he gave it to the FBI initially, but still they're going to sue. But along the way, they admitted the laptop is there and tried to walk it back. Hunter's offensive blows up in his own camp as his attorneys try to walk back the top admission, ad, admission as uh, links between the dad's papers and policies overlap with Hunter's uh, antics. And that's where we'll begin. First off, it's amazing to me that Hunter Biden in a panic because the Republican House-led majority will be investigating him, but not how it relates to him, but how it relates to his dad, called on some friendly prosecutors to go ahead and go after the laptop owner, uh, I guess Fox News, any outlet their reports, some of the pictures and documents on that laptop, which everybody told us was fake. Now we find out that it's real. 
even though we knew that for years. Years. Remember, Hunter Biden repeatedly said the laptop, which he's suing because people are cycling it, was not his. Cut one. Was that your laptop? For real, I don't know. I know, but, but you know that's... Is, this is I really a, don't know okay. if the answer is. That's you don't know yes answer. or no if the laptop was I don't have any yours. idea. I have no idea. So it could have been yours. Of course, certainly. It, 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 there could be a laptop out there that was stolen from me. There could be that I was hacked. It could be that it was the that it was Russian intelligence. It could be that it was stolen from me. Yeah, or it could just be yours and you forgot you left it there. What is the big deal? Only how it relates to the international business deals that his dad and brothers attached to, uncle in his case. Remember, Joe Biden, knowing the laptop is real, obviously comfortable lying, cut to. I still think that the stories from the fall about your son Hunter Yes, yes, yes. God love you, man. You're a one-horse pony. There's nothing to any of that. Nothing to any of that. It's all a smear. There are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plan. So all I can tell you is when you catch somebody lying, just notice their body language and the way they deliver because that's how they'll lie again. He lied on that stage. I knew it. People at Fox knew it. Nobody else was acknowledging it or took the time to look at it. Remember when John Brennan and James Clapper said this? Cut three. As uh, I and several of my former colleagues have pointed out publicly, that it does bear the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. To me, this is uh, just classic uh, textbook uh, Soviet-Russian tradecraft at work. And so all of a sudden, two, two and a half weeks before the election, uh, this laptop appears somehow. So now they're going to sue the computer repair owner. Small business gets the repair, does the repair, repeatedly calls Hunter. It becomes his after a certain period of time, looks at it, sees all this disturbing information, gives it to the FBI, and now they're going after him. So here is Brian Della Roca on with Tucker last night, and he was on with me two hours ago, talking about how gutless it is to go after John Paul Mac Isaac. Cut nine. When I read the letters, I, I was appalled. I, 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 this is really um, someone with so much money, or uh, acting like they have a lot of money, going after someone who is really the little guy. And and he's doing it on purpose. He's trying to intimidate. Um, and it's interesting to me that this happened when it did, because, uh, as you may know, we filed a lawsuit against uh, numerous parties, uh, CNN, Politico. But one of the parties is Hunter Biden. Um, it was very difficult to find where he was. Uh, he, you know, he was in D.C. for a couple of weeks and he was moving around. Uh, well, we finally tracked him down, and we were able to serve him last week. And yeah. now, all of a sudden, we see this. So they served Hunter Biden. They're suing him, and they're getting back at him for making John Paul Mac Isaac's life hell. And the FBI should be ashamed of themselves for holding on to that laptop, treating him poorly, and then going out and game-planning a ways to strategize against it when Rudy Giuliani got a hold of it. And then they come out for two years, called him a liar. And now it turns out he's being sued and telling the truth. We knew the truth, and so did you. 
real quick, because I, I want to get to my two great guests. I have a, a great economist, E.J. Antoni, research fellow with the Regional Economics at the Heritage Foundation. He's going to be talking about making sense of these numbers. And also at the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk about what's happening in Ukraine. But I do want to talk about this Chinese spy balloon. In case you don't know, flying just above airspace, uh, where you might get a plane, but below where you get a satellite, there's a Chinese spy balloon. It went over the Aleutian Islands outside Alaska through Canada, and now it's hovering in Montana, where they say there's a military base and nuclear sites there. The president said, let's shoot it down. The F-22s are there. And then at the last moment, the Pentagon says, I don't think it's a real good idea. Here's what they told Jennifer uh, Griffin, our, our great Pentagon reporter, a well-placed senior source official. The president's considering a, way, a variety of options how to deal with the Chinese spy balloon that is currently over the continental U.S. The options presented to the president from the National Security Team include concerns that if the military shot down the balloon, there could be some civilian casualties. While the White House has not ruled out shooting down the spy balloon, if it was deemed safe to do so, there is more than just a balloon, I am told. There is heavy equipment hanging below the balloon, which came crashing to the could come crash to the ground. Listen, we get ready for hurricanes. We got tornadoes. We got tidal waves. We got tsunamis. You get these people out of the rough region. It's Montana's wide open. I'm sure you've seen the maps and the pictures. You take this thing down. It's of national security. Steve Daines of Montana is beside himself. The governor's upset by this. The 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 people of Montana would understand. The Chinese are taunting us, and we are failing the tough test. It's in my view. When we come back, we'll talk about the economy. Bottom of the hour, we'll talk about Ukraine and what uh, the Russians are doing and planning by March. It is estimated the Russians have lost 200,000 soldiers in one year. 200,000. More to come. They don't care about their people. What does that mean for the ultimate objective? We'll discuss it. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. My colleagues and I understand the hardship that high inflation is causing, and we are strongly committed to bringing inflation back down to our 2% goal. Over the past year, we've taken forceful actions to tighten the stance of monetary policy. We've covered a lot of ground, and the full effects of our rapid tightening so far are yet to be felt. Even so, we have more work to do. What does that mean? That's the Fed chair uh, talking about more work to do. Ed Antoni joins us now, research fellow for the regional economics at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, EJ, welcome. Brian, thank you for having me. So first off, what do you read between the lines on what the Fed chair said this week? Oh, goodness. Uh, yeah, we have more what, work what to is, do, which right. means more more rates to hike. Right. What What is the Sphinx trying to tell us here? Uh, yeah, most most likely the the Fed chair is telling us we're going to continue to look at the data and until the specific metrics that we want to see go down actually fall, we're going to stay the course. So I guess uh, the other number that came across was a half hour ago, we have added 517,000 jobs. We were supposed to add 185 and that was going to be OK. How do you explain this enormous number? This looks like fantastic news. 
Oh, it's, it certainly does. But the problem is it sticks out like a sore thumb. And and when we look at all of the other data, it doesn't matter if it's coming out of, out of government agencies like the Bureau of Economic Analysis or other data from the Department of Labor. We can look at data from the regional Federal Reserve Banks or even private payroll companies, nothing is lining up with today's report. Because we feel we just keep reading about massive layoffs, but it's not figuring into the job market. And I think this might caught other people by surprise. You would tell me up in the elevator where we're going up, that this is usually a month it, it, it lags because coming out of the holiday season, a lot of times you lay off that help. Exactly. And so the the Bureau of Labor Statistics seasonally adjusts the data to try to account for that. But it's been really clear over the last year or two that all of their different adjustments are not working properly. We we have some real statistical problems, I think, with these surveys. And you can actually go on to their website and look at what the response rates are for these surveys. And that has been going down. So now you have unemployment at 3.3 percent. You wouldn't think if that number was taking place, you wouldn't consider you wouldn't You'd be surprised that consumer spending is actually slowing down. Exactly. We, we just saw consumer spending decrease for the last two months, not just in terms of dollars, but in terms of also the actual amount of stuff people are buying. The consumer is seriously strapped for cash right now. So they're tapping into their 401k because this administration made it easier, the penalties less to do that. But you don't do that. You do that as a last resort. Exactly. I mean, so what does that say? Right. Well, I mean, look, look at what look at what the data shows. Right. We've we lost over one and a half trillion dollars in savings over the course of last year. Real disposable income dropped by over a trillion dollars. That that was in percentage terms, the second worst drop ever behind just the Great Depression year of 1932. So the, the idea that the consumer is somehow in, in a great position here and everyone has jobs and the economy is doing great. I mean, this is the literally the single data point that points to that. Everything else points the opposite direction. So right now, uh, Fox News did a poll and said, what concerns you most? Top of the list, 86 percent surveyed inflation and higher prices. So that's just it. People talk about everything being more expensive and the ripple effect. I was in a uh, cafe on Sunday and I said, what's going on? He goes, well, I feel terrible. I got to raise my price again. And believe me, it's slower. I said, why? He said, they're buying, it's a smoothie shop, cafe. They go, every single thing I buy is three times more expensive. Everything. So they don't know what to do on the on that end. So less people are buying things. They have less disposable income. You got to raise your price. You're reluctant to do so. The part profit margin gets less. You would think that I got to hire less. But the numbers in the economy defy that. So the in the last quarter, the the economy grew at 1%. What do you expect now? I think we'll probably continue to see a quarter or two of, of growth in that headline number before it flatlines and then turns south. But we want to we want to actually look past just that headline number and read into the data a little bit. And and you see a lot of things that that give the appearance of growth, for example, but aren't actually real growth. I think net exports is a great example of that. You know, because international trade is shrinking, but. Uh, imports are shrinking faster than exports, you're worse off because of that, right? Except it makes that headline number go up. So it gives the appearance of growth even though there isn't any. So interesting. Uh, The mortgage rates have fallen uh, to 6% for the first time since September. So the interest rates have fallen even though the rate hike went up. So what do you think is that's doing to the real estate market? Have we felt it yet like you thought we would? Not yet. I mean, we're we're still just beginning to feel some of the effects from several months ago when rates first hit 7%. So the the idea that things have completely sorted themselves out in the housing market, I think, is very premature. Steve Ratner was on another network, you know, former Obama uh, uh, economist. And he's talked about how oil companies 
are making too much money. Cut 34. Certainly we can do stuff uh, on the tax side. You're right. They have enjoyed unusually generous tax benefits for years, and they have a powerful lobby in Washington and have been able to maintain that. Uh, One of the things that we could think about, and there's pluses and minuses, is that the U.K. did put in a very substantial excess profits tax on the oil companies that produce oil out of the North Sea over in the U.K., uh, which isn't within their jurisdiction. You're talking about a windfall uh, uh, profits tax. The reason why oil is up is because they're not allowing the drilling, making the oil that we have more valuable, right? It's exactly right. Absolutely. And if, if you want oil prices to come down, if you want to help bring down prices throughout the economy, frankly, you need to lower energy prices. People really underestimate, especially in this administration, how much energy affects everything we do and everything we buy. Do they not get that? I mean, do they understand that these are not people looking to build extensions on their mansions? They're successful, sure, but it's all built into supply and demand and what they're able to produce. You know, I, I waffle back and forth between thinking these people are entirely incompetent and they know what they're doing because it is helping them achieve their end goal of this so-called green economy, right? What's the best way to, to force people to transition to solar and wind and all these other boondoggles? It's to make fossil fuels so incredibly expensive that they're just unaffordable. So we have nickel, we have lithium, we have cobalt, we have, all have it here. But they say on average it takes 10 years to get a mining permit and with the restrictions to make it, to make it actually – Functional, 15 years. So you're asking Ford to produce electric vehicles. But guess where they're going? They're going overseas to Indonesia and other places to get their rare earth. And it's got to get processed. Guess where? China. And 85% of their chips are Taiwan. For people who think that Taiwan's not our problem, wait until China absorbs our, the chip manufacturing. To you, that's a national security issue. Absolutely. And, and we're, we're sending jobs overseas effectively, right? When you can't get those, all, all those materials here, as you said, when you're not allowed to process them here because of environmental regulations. I mean, how on earth is this green? How are we helping the environment by sending our, our production facilities over to China where they do things 10 times as dirty as we do? It's like cleaning up your house and dumping your garbage on your neighbor's lawn and thinking, you know, I've cleaned up the environment. No, you just pushed it. That's exactly right. It, I mean, these people, it's as if they don't think that the atmosphere is, is entirely around the globe, as if that air, that dirty air will just stay over China. And finally, E.J. Antoni here from Heritage. Uh, your prediction, uh, will we have a recession? Will it be a soft landing as some have projected? I think a lot of that just depends on, on what the Federal Reserve does. We, I think we're definitely going to see a recession later this year. How hard? That's in Powell's hands. E.J., great to see you. You too. Thanks so much. That's your economic insight. Now the worldview of Admiral James Stavridis. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We would never have the capability of having a balloon in, in mainland China, but I think the Pentagon's uh, solution to this might be ongoing, and I think it's a living narrative because there are options on the table. And we also want to be able to see two things technically what they're collecting on and counter-collect and be able to understand that. But secondarily, look at the geopolitical risk associated with shooting it down and not shooting it down. Geopolitically, the fact that the Communist Party of China has a balloon so low in our atmosphere collecting our infrastructure Mm -hmm. is disturbing to the American people. I would think that's Bill Ivana, former counterintelligence chief uh, on Fox News last night. Joining us now, Admiral James Servetus, the 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, member of the Carlisle Group, 
author of uh, his latest book, To Risk It All, Nine Conflicts and the Crucible of Decision. Uh, Admiral, if I told you right now, I, I gave you these circumstances, a Chinese balloon, uh, surveillance balloon over Montana, would you take it out? If I could do it in a way that uh, ensured there wasn't some kind of debris field that came down unpredictably. And, you know, I'd be pushing the Pentagon right now to show me the options. And I think that as we track the balloon and figure out where it's going to go next, uh, two things which your previous guest just mentioned really matter. One is, what the hell is it doing there? And we could probably learn more about that listening to it, tracking it, pushing it, uh, pinging on it, see what comes back, that we can't just blowing it up. And number two, we ought to let the geopolitics play out a little bit here. I think in the last hour, Brian, you've probably seen these reports, China is saying, yes, it's our balloon. Um, you know, if you said to me two days ago, hey, there's going to be a Chinese balloon floating over the United States, and there are two possibilities for why it's there. One is uh, just buffoonery turned into ballonery. In other words, just they made a mistake. It shouldn't be there. Uh, or it's some kind of clever, nefarious plot. I think I'm going to go with door number one. Let's see what the Chinese have to say. Let's collect on it. We can always shoot the thing down if we want to. Right. But I heard that's not the first time. You read the New York Times today. They've done it before. It's the first yeah. time. I guess it got exposed uh, by whether it's the naked eye or whether it's civilian aircraft, somehow mm-hmm. they thought it was best interest to tell everyone. But how about the report not denied? The president said shoot it down, and the Pentagon talked him out of it. Haven't seen that report. Uh, my guess is the Pentagon's not talking the president into or out of anything. Having been in that position too many times to count, what the Pentagon does is march over there with a bunch of options, probably five of them. Uh, one of which is the one I described. Let's let's ping on it for a while and see what comes back. Um, we can shoot it down later. They probably are concerned about the safety aspect of things. So I wouldn't discount it entirely. But um, as your guest said a moment ago, it's a living narrative. Um, let's see what this one looks like 24 hours from now. Admiral, if, uh, let me just give you a hypothetical. An American balloon is uh, flies over China. How long is that balloon up in the air? <laughs> about two and a half minutes, I would say, yeah. maybe. Uh, and, yeah, I'm not disagreeing with the premise that we should take the balloon out, although you have to see kind of the comic aspect of this at some point. I, I just don't see this as uh, life-threatening to the United States of America. So I, I think we can afford to take a breath, figure it out, see what the thing is doing, listen to what the Chinese had to say. Then we can put it all together and maybe shoot it down tomorrow if we need to. Uh, Senator Dane's uh, people in Montana go, excuse me, could you have told me this? The governor said, really? <laughs> could, could you have mentioned this? Uh, unbelievable. Uh, so, uh, Admiral, I want to talk to you about Ukraine if we could. And it looks hey, like hey, uh, Brian, 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 yeah. before we get off China, let me tell you the important story of the last few days about China. And it's a good story is the uh, the idea that the Filipinos have walked away from China and are permitting access to the U.S. military in northern Philippines on the island of Luzon. That's a big deal. And the other story, entirely unreported, about a week ago, the Commandant of the Marine Corps is on the island of Guam opening the first Marine Corps base 
new base in 70 years. So we're pushing in on China. We should be doing that. I think that's really the story of China this morning, less the balloon. I, I did not know all the Philippines made a choice. I just thought they allowed us to expand because with all the Filipino islands, I didn't know. Uh, but that is good news. I thought we were just increasing the presence. The fact that they walked away from China and to us is even better. And Japan building up their defense, uh, I love it. So they're, they're exactly. seeing, and that exactly. scares the hell out of China. Which does bring us to Ukraine, because the reason a lot of this is occurring is because those nations are watching what Russia is doing in Ukraine and saying, hmm, I wonder if China could pull something like that in the Pacific. It has a way of clarifying where they want to align, and that's helpful to us. So now we find out that uh, Vladimir Putin, if we were to believe the report, said, I want the Donbass by all the Donbass by March. And that explains the call up between 300,000 and 500,000 troops. Where they're getting them, I don't know. Uh, and they are been very aggressive in the winter in the Ukraine. And a desperate Zelensky saying, uh, West, give me some more weapons. This is to your advantage, too. What do you believe? I think it is likely that Putin is going to launch an offensive in the next month to three months, which, of course, would get us into the spring. I just, Brian, I don't see the military capability in his hands to send 300 to 500,000 troops charging at Ukrainian lines. He may surprise me. Russians uh, have a lot of fortitude. They're willing to take huge casualties. We know that from World War II. But uh, if you look at the difficulties he's had recruiting, the fact that 200,000 to 300,000 military-age males have departed the country in the face of this draft. The fact that they have no training, they're not supplying them with any effective military capability. Boy, if he does launch a big offensive, I I think they'll be shredded by the Ukrainians as long as we continue to provide the ammunition, the artillery rounds. We had to do two things. We had to get them the ATACMs. It's a long-range version sure. of the HIMARS. You know that. And secondly, <clears throat> we ought to be getting them tactical jets because air cover will be very important in that scenario. We could get them MiG-29s like Thursday from Poland, and we could get them into F-16s, trained and flying those in a month or so, which would still be germane if there is a spring offensive, which I suspect there will be. So, Admiral, very few people have the contacts across both parties like you do. If you sound like somebody who might be coming from the conservative point of view that wants to, that should be aggressive, General Jack Keane, for example, uh, even though the conservatives seem to abandon this mission, and I don't, I don't get it, but uh, I think it's got to be effectively explained to the American people on a regular basis why this matters. But I do think that what you just said is so logical, but it doesn't seem to be resonating with the administration. What are you hearing? Well, first and foremost, we ought to look at the history here, and and the word is incremental. The administration, and this is a criticism, has been too incremental here. And the way the cycle tends to work is if you go back uh, eight months ago, the Ukrainians were saying, We need a massive number of artillery shells. We need many, many more howitzers. And we said, "Eh, let us think about it. We'll study it for a while. Eventually, we ended up giving it to them. Same thing with tanks being the, the classic example where five months ago, four months ago, 
the West was saying, no, tanks, too provocative. Now they've got tanks. So I, I think we are too incremental, but the history of this conflict over 11 months tells me we're going to give them combat aircraft. Uh, sometimes you got to just wake up and do what you know is going to happen anyway. Right, but the whole country's being destroyed in the, in the interim, and oh, it's I being it. uh, reduced to rubble. Uh, uh, but, I mean, they're fighting, and, and they're resilient. I get it. So I looked at what Vladimir Putin said. This is like Stalingrad, and he predicts his victory. Mm-hmm. If you look back at Stalingrad, they lost between 1.7 and 2 million people, and, they, and that was a great victory. 2 million people died, and they, and they, yeah. they withstood it. But do you think in this modern day and age when you know there's people have options and many of which left the country rather than fight, do you think they've already lost 120,000 minimum in this one-year conflict that was supposed to last three days? Do you think modern Russia would be willing to digest 500,000 casualties? I do not. And uh, a huge difference, of course, is – if you will, the Battle of Stalingrad, as far as the Russian population was concerned, happened off stage. You know, there wasn't coverage by Fox News and CNN and MSNBC and a thousand other networks and outlets. Um, now, even with the control. Wow, we just might have lost them. Um, it sounded a little bit like a echo in the background, almost as if the phone was dropped. Right. So I'm going to give him a second to finish his thought. But he was just putting Stalingrad in, in perspective. They had no choice. They were invaded. So they had nowhere to run. So the Nazis come in. They start killing everything they can. They do the scorched earth policy, which is uh, – so I'm just filling in. I mean, they had no choice in, Stal- in Lenin, Stalingrad because the Nazis invaded. So they, they had to fight. They had to fight in their own homes. They did they, they, uh, the famous scorched earth policy. This is this war of choice. Don't, don't, don't they understand? Don't, they, don't the Russian people understand that? Indeed, uh, they do increasingly, Brian. And my view is, to answer the question before I got cut off, is that uh, the Russian people will not stand because the old battle of Stalingrad, World War II, happened off stage. It wasn't covered by the media the way this is. And increasingly, Russians are concerned and aware of this war. That's going to bubble into pressure on Putin over time. Final thought, having said all that, uh, Putin is really tapping deep into Russian DNA there, talking about Stalingrad. By the way, the city's not even called Stalingrad anymore. It was such a, a massive, massive destruction of life. It's now called Volgograd after the river that runs through it. I think he's playing with fire here, as he has been from the beginning of this. I don't like his hand of cards at this point. All right. Uh, we'll see uh, We'll see what other challenges we have. Uh, Admiral, I hope they listen to you, because if they do, uh, the Ukrainians <laughs> can make this a spring in which they win or push him back Indeed. to at least to Crimea. Admiral James Stravitas, thanks so much. Always, Brian. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to open up the phone. one 866 To me, no doubt about it, that blows up that weather balloon. You tell the people of Montana, you give them 24 hours, you know about the debris field, roughly where it is. We understand hurricanes, tidal waves, tsunamis, tornadoes. We get it. We know how to react. All of us on the coast, in the middle, I get it. We all understand it. It's going to blow up. That's it. F-22 takes it out. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. 
It's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. This is about targeting women of color in the, in the United States of America. Don't tell me because I didn't get a single apology when my life was threatened. Thank you. Let me the make gentlewoman's time has expired. Ilhan Omar is right where she belongs. The gentlewoman's Her time has expired. Needed on the Foreign Affairs Committee. Her clarity, conviction, The gentlewoman's and time has expired and she is no longer recognized. The GOP is now doing what it is best at weaponizing hate against a black, beautiful Muslim woman. The gentlewoman's time has expired. Omar will not be silenced. The gentlewoman's time has expired. Omar, I am so time has expired. That our country is failing you today through this chamber. You the, belong The gentlewoman is no longer recognized. What an embarrassment the squad unleashed. This is who they really are. They'll pretend to be mainstream and mellowed out, but they aren't. This is because a woman was pulled off foreign affairs. Why was she pulled off foreign affairs? Not even ousted from all committees. Because she, her anti-Semitic tropes, her, her anti-Israel beliefs, her comparing America and Israel to the Taliban and apartheid, her questionable background, and she was pulled off. And they voted two-thirds, every Republican voted, let's get rid of her. And they sit there, scream, and just throw the rules out in the street and go right through the gavel. Here's Karl Rove. There's six major points that the Republicans outlined, by the way, and here's some of them. 24. Look, it was all about her. It was about her ego. You're absolutely right. She said, I'm a powerful voice that needs to be silenced. That's why this is happening to me. There was nothing in those speeches that you showed and nothing in her speech that dealt with the issue at hand, which is she described Jews as saying it's all about the Benjamins. And she accused Jewish Americans of having an allegiance to a foreign state. She dismissed 9-11 by, some, by saying some people did something. She called the United States an apartheid regime, and she compared the United States and Israel to Hamas and the Taliban. And that's just the start. This woman has made a history of anti-Israel, anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish comments, and you'll notice that nobody, nobody dealt with that. Nobody stood up and said you misunderstood her. Nobody stood up and said she apologizes. Nobody stood up and said you misconstrued those things. And she, the only thing I heard her say is all about the Benjamins. I didn't know there was a negativity towards uh, the Jews or uh, there were, uh, that was a Jewish trope. No one buys it. And they say it's because she's Muslim and black. Does a day go by where someone, some Republicans not accused or some persons not accused of being racist? Let's get to the bit. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Unplugged. Reclaim your privacy from big tech snooping with Unplugged. Visit Unplugged.com. All right. Uh, guess what? Jerry Seinfeld's still making an impact. A brief interaction Jerry had with a telemarketer during season four episode of Seinfeld has inspired New Jersey state legislators to consider a new proposal when it comes to annoying telemarketing limits. Remember? Why don't you give me your home number and I'll call you later? Uh, well, I'm sorry. We're not allowed to do that. Oh, I guess you don't want people calling you at home. No. Well, now you know how I feel. <laughs> It was a 15-second interaction that Jerry had with the telemarketer during that season. It, it spawned this, the new so-called 
Seinfeld bill will require telemarketers to not only state their names on what they're selling within 30 seconds, but also the names of whom they represent and phone numbers at which to reach them. I feel bad. It's not an easy job, but I just don't like the approach. I don't think people should be doing it. Next, fans start a petition to have Mama Kelsey do the coin toss at the Super Bowl. Preparations are underway, as you know, for the Super Bowl 57. Uh, Donna Kelsey will make her his, make history on February 12th when her sons Jason Kelsey of the Eagles, Travis Kelsey of the Kansas City Chiefs, take the field for the Super Bowl in Glendale. A change.com petition started on January 31st with the simple goal, let Mama Kelsey toss the coin for the game. Do you think that'll happen? I think it's a great idea, right? Wouldn't it be fun to say it has over 34,000 signatures already? I think it would be pretty cool, but usually they have somebody from the military or some type of angle. Usually they don't pay to do it. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But you know the biggest story about the Super Bowl. Is that you will be there. It's been underreported. Totally underreported. Totally underreported. And I just want to be able to go with that story exclusively. We'll be doing the show there on Friday and on Monday. I'll be doing uh, Fox and Friends there Saturday and Sunday. We'll have uh, Friday night. Um, we we're going to have the One Nation show on Saturday. So that'll Saturday be Saturday night, you're going to Shaq's dance party, and you said you were going to dance on the dance floor. I never said that. I think you're going to try to— I don't think that's been uh, clarified at all down with, with Shaq. I, I, but Shaq wants to hang out with me, I think's the story. Only if you dance. Not really. <laughs> I do know Shaq likes being a DJ. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming here from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country. Heard around the world. Trey Yanks will be joining us from Ukraine. Speaking of around the world, he just sat down with President Zelensky of Ukraine. What he wants, what he needs, and what he expects. And why he will not talk to Vladimir Putin. He has no interest, but wanted to talk to him before the war started almost a year ago. And uh, we know, too, the DNC is having their summit in Virginia. Uh, they're trying to get together and get a strategy together. The president and vice president supposed to visit. So let's get to, before we get to Jonathan Turley, to unwind what's going on with Hunter. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I am Muslim. I am an immigrant. And interestingly, from Africa. Is anyone surprised that I am being targeted? Omar out. Elon Omar's unsavory behavior and beliefs got her ousted by a House majority from Foreign Relations Committee. But not all committees. All in a very dramatic fashion. They took it very, very strategically. They had a meltdown. All went unhinged. I'm talking about the squad. Number two. China has plenty of uh, low-Earth orbit satellites that have much greater visibility and much higher clarity and can do a lot better spying than, than what this thing does. So that's why I think this is probably some sort of message. China offensive. A spy balloon flies over over our nukes as China's companies buying up private schools, as China's real estate companies are scooping up our land while pouring money into our colleges. What will it take for this administration to realize we're under a slow motion invasion? Number one. It seemed that the letter was an implicit admission. I'd say almost an express admission that this was his data. I don't know why they didn't realize it up until now, the the import 
of what they had done. Andy McCarthy weighing in. Hunter's offensive blows up in his own camp as his attorneys try to walk back uh, their laptop admission as links between his dad's papers and policies overlap with Hunter's antics. With me right now is Jonathan Turley. Jonathan, were you astounded 24 hours ago when it was revealed by his attorneys that the laptop is real and they're going to sue the, lab, the the computer store owner and anybody else that reports on it, and then they walk back up, we're not saying it's real. Are you surprised by this? Well, I am surprised by how long it took for them to recognize reality. You know, the, remember, this has been years in which Hunter Biden has maintained that this really could all just be Russian disinformation. And that was becoming increasingly comical. But that went to a rather bad comedy when they first issued this letter uh, asking for criminal investigations of their critics and media. And then when they saw what they had just admitted to, they issued a second statement saying, well, these might not really be our files. I mean, it's, it's akin to asking the police to go search for a car that may or may not have been stolen, that may or may not be yours. I mean, it, it, it just left all of us scratching our heads. I mean, what the letter discussed were not just criminal investigations targeting critics, but threats of defamation <laughs> and privacy lawsuits. None of those claims uh, are credible. Right, especially if you don't even admit that the laptop is yours. So if you go ahead and admit it's yours, you took it, and you're making fun of me with it, and you've overstepped your bounds and violated my privacy, Well, with what? With fake Documents, fake emails, and fake pictures? You can't have it both ways. Uh, and it's crazy. And it, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't help to be outraged that people are using a laptop that you abandoned. You know, Hunter Biden signed a very standard uh, agreement that if he failed to retrieve his property after 90 days or whatever period, uh, it was no longer his property. It was abandoned property. And that's the rule that applies to a great variety of what are called chattel uh, that you leave with third parties. So, you know, he was asked to pick up his computer repeatedly. He didn't do it. And eventually it was no longer his computer. Now, the only other claim he can make is not that these were stolen, but that this is a, a tort called the public disclosure of embarrassing private facts. The problem with that tort action, which, which is the only one I can think of at the moment, uh, is that there's an exception for things that are newsworthy. Now, Hunter Biden may be a number of things and not a number of other things, but he is most certainly newsworthy. Yes, uh, I would say that, especially as this uh, it might be intelligence worthy, too, as some of this paperwork and these emails reveal uh, business deals that could involve our national security, which is the whole point. It's not to point out embarrassing things about Hunter. It's talk about the deals in which he headed up that could involve his father, who, according to reports, is president. Here's Kevin McCarthy brought up something interesting. He sees another strategy in the lawsuit. Cut four. On Hunter Biden yes. and uh, his calls for a federal investigation now into the dissemination, dissemination of the laptop, how is that going to impact your own investigations into him? Uh, I don't think anyway. I think it's delayed in his tactic. I think it's an, an attorney tactic to try to stop something. Um, the one thing I will say from that, he's acknowledging now it is his laptop. Um, so he was a little slower than, than the rest of the papers and Twitter and the others, but now we know that it's true. Um, 
And I think the investigations here, the uniqueness is you'll have Republicans and Democrats, and we'll get to the bottom of all that. Yeah, I mean, we should be able to do that. But what do you think about that? Is he trying to slow down the Republican investigate, Republican-led House investigation? Well, I think he's more likely trying to chill media organizations and other third parties from discussing these documents. It is an old trick. You know, you shoot a, a couple of rounds across the bow of the media. Uh, you expressly threaten people like Tucker Carlson with defamation lawsuits. And it tends to reduce the number of people who are willing to report on the story. So there's nothing new about it. I had a conversation yesterday with an editor who was jittery on this subject. And, and we talked about, you know, the uh, the letter. And as I explained, you know, I teach defamation. I said, you know, any anyone can say that they're going to sue you for defamation. The question is, is it credible? This is not credible. I mean, the idea that Tucker Carlson would be sued for defamation because he believes the files show influence peddling is absolutely absurd. There are congressional committees looking into that question. Are you really going to sue someone in the media for sharing their opinion on what these files mean? Obviously, this is just a thuggish effort to try to get people to stop talking about uh, the laptop. But, but if that is, let's play that out. Okay, you're saying that I'm using this. Uh, I'm try- erroneously saying that the that Hunter Biden was part of an international plot setting up international business deals. Let's go through it. Can I see the emails? Can we see the companies? Can I find Tony Bobolinsky and can we get him to testify about these companies and the president's role in that? Should I continue? Devin Archer, who's in jail, can I talk about his role? Can we can we can we play this out? How would this not blow up in Hunter and the Biden family's face? Well, that's the really bizarre thing to this, because I don't see any intelligent design behind this letter. Uh, it's it's it, 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 The best you could say for it is it's an effort to knuckle uh, or muscle uh, critics into silence. But that's not going to work. But at worst, it could really backfire. Yeah. I mean, you, you if, let's say that they did sue someone for defamation or privacy. That would trigger deposition. The defense to (laughs) defamation is truth. So Hunter Biden, who's avoided any testimony, any public statements about these influence peddling schemes, would have to sit for hours of deposition on that subject. Now, even if Hunter Biden is delusional enough to trigger that type of deposition, his father will be left in a virtual fetal position at the very thought of it. I mean, you know, after all of the effort of the Biden to silence the scandal, yes. his son's tripping wires in litigation. So what do you think when they came out and said, we're not saying that the laptop is real. Do you think the White House got in front of Abby Lowell and said, are you nuts? You have, you've, done the, you've done the impossible. You actually made things worse. Do you get the sense that someone got in, got involved there? Well, I think that this is the the weird thing about the Biden administration is that even though the narrative is completely ridiculous, you know, this continued effort to say, well, we really don't know if it's his laptop. um, The Biden administration has just stayed with narratives, even when they don't work. An example of that is, you know, the White House uh, press briefing. They're refusing to discuss anything about the Biden documents. People cringe 
as you know, Jean Pierre says over and over again, we've been very transparent. We're cooperating, and by the way, we will answer nothing. But you know, the the White House here, I'm sure, was really alarmed because this is giving them even the pretense that they had before. And what's interesting, though, is that this is collapsing across the board. You know, you have media organizations, the New York Times, uh, you know, and, and other, Washington Post and other papers that waited to, roughly two years before they admitted the laptop was authentic. Now, many of us started writing about the laptop before the election and noted that the laptop emails were self authenticated because they had third parties that were confirming they did receive the emails. But it took two years for the media to be comfortable enough to say, uh, yeah, it wasn't Russian disinformation after all. It really is hunters. But the last dog in this fight are the Bidens. And I think that what a lot of people from the White House are saying is we know no one believes us. But if we start to admit it is his laptop, it means that all of those pictures of taking mm. drugs, having sex with prostitutes, talking about foreign deals are also legitimate. And it's better for us just to, to, to say that we don't know rather than answer those questions. Right. It's fascinating. So I know you've been mentioning this over the last few days, but there are 1,850 boxes of files from the vice pre- then vice president's D.C. office that were delivered to the University of Delaware on June 12th. 33 pallets carried by two trucks, according to multiple reports. The person who put that all together was a former business partner of Hunter's who delivered Eric Sherwin. Sherwin. Uh, he communicated with Biden's deputy counsel, Catherine uh, uh, Owama, and Michael Monahan in the lead up to the delivery. So he coordinated it. So Hunter involved in all this stuff. People look at one of these uh, communications with uh, when his days on Burisma about intelligence he suddenly had on Russia, oligarchs, and said, did he get that from intelligence? And now we're finding out that the president held back some classified documents when he was senator. Why are we not at the University of Delaware with the FBI going through those 1,850 pages. Well, again, this is what's so insulting about the public positions of the government is that there's no reason. 80 miles away from the Rehoboth Beach house where they were looking for one or two documents is a trove of thousands of documents. And yet the FBI essentially drove right by there, went and searched a vacation home, and then went back to Washington. So the university says, nope, we're not going to be releasing any documents until two years after Joe Biden retires. That wouldn't apply to the FBI, though. No, it wouldn't. And, and the press has been really docile on this because this is the president that says, I believe in absolute transparency. Yeah, right. And, and says you can take the word of a Biden. Well, fine. Take the word of a Biden. Be transparent. You know, but they're doing this first and foremost because they didn't want people to look at these records when there were sexual harassment mm-hmm. allegations raised against the president. And University of Delaware allowed itself to be converted into a giant lockbox for the Biden family. And it's disgraceful. Jonathan Turley with us. Jonathan, lastly, you know, you, you're in the business of trying to detect the truth full time. Knowing what we know about the laptop and logic, what we've known for two and a half years, but now everybody agrees it's his, and the president's communicated with it. His voice is on there. Listen to this in, re- in perspective of what we now know. Cut to. 
from the fall about your son Hunter. We're rushing this information and scared him, like you said. Yes, yes, yes. God love you, man. You, you're a one-horse pony. There's nothing to any of that. Nothing to any of that. It's all a smear. There are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. So he knows it's true. He doesn't, he, he ducks and says it's not true. He said the same, that was from the debate stage. Does it uh, worries me as an American that he's that comfortable lying? Well, he was lying knowingly and repeatedly, including in a presidential debate. And that is, in my view, beyond question. What's really alarming is that while the, the press has quietly admitted that the laptop is authentic, they have conspicuously avoided the tapes that you just played. They're not confronting the president saying, why did you lie to us over and over again? Your voice is on these tapes. You met with, according to a witness, with Bubalinsky to discuss these deals. You met with associates. There's photographs of you. There's dinners that were held. So why did you lie to us? That question is not being asked by anyone other than Fox and a couple other organizations. Question is, if he sits down on Super Bowl Sunday with the network, the host network, that's called Fox. It'd probably uh-huh. be Shannon Bream. I guarantee you that question will be asked. And then no, Shannon, Shannon's perfect for this. You know, I got to tell you, she is as smart as a whip. I, and she's, you know, she's that sort of iron fist in a silk glove. So that is one interview I will not miss. Right. And plus, you should watch the game, too, Jonathan. It's going to be a good game. I am going to watch the game, <laughs> but you know what? You should be ashamed to even mention it, that you're getting a ticket to go see it. You oh, my goodness. Ashamed. This attack that comes from the Turley camp is just uh, <laughs> totally unwarranted. Jonathan, thanks so much. Awesome right, segment. Thanks for your insight. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. And I talked to somebody today who got canceled a few years ago, and he said something I thought was very interesting, that it's almost better if you're accused of a crime, because then you could fight back, or if you're convicted... You could serve the time, and then you could come back. Mm -hmm. But right now, the people who wanted him canceled in the first place hound him every month, and he's reminded of that, and he's not been able to fully recover, though he puts on a pretty brave face. Mm -hmm. And that's only one person that I know. Kill me. Kill me. (laughs) There's many people. So that was uh, Dana Prino last night on Gutfeld, or was it on The Five? It was on Gutfeld. On Gutfeld. Yes. So, yeah, who was he talking about? That is the question. I mean, I, you guys are friends. You probably could text her to get an answer. I know, but then she would tell me I, I did not give the name for a reason. I'd feel I'd be holding it back from my audience. Well, I was Maybe say- I should do the Joe Biden. Don't tell me what you found in my office. <laughs> I just don't remember. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it may be plausible deniability. Uh, could that, be. It's so interesting that Dana would have such a great time on The Five that she'd waltz over and do more Gutfeld on his show. And it's an hour. I mean, you can't just like, go in for a segment. you got to stay there for the whole hour. I mean, are you saying she's lazy and wouldn't want to do that? I'm just saying how much Gutfeld can one person take? I mean, country- Tyrus doesn't do the five very rarely. He, he fills does- in for Gutfeld. Exactly. Well, I feel like the country wants a lot of Gutfeld. Well, so if you look at the ratings. Yes. But I try not to uh, make that a big deal because 
if it's possible, his ego gets even bigger. And, and Kill Me doesn't want a lot of gut filled. Right. <laughs> A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. At this moment, your troops in the East are bracing for a new Russian offensive. What is your assessment of the situation along the front lines? Well, this situation on the front line is complicated. Well, it wasn't easy on those moments. Uh, for over a year, we have this war. Uh, people are exhausted, but still there is this resilience of our soldiers. It's important to have the resilience among the people. There's this high level of morale, and Russia is preparing for the remonch. We can feel this. I believe that it has already started, either fully or not fully. We will see that in the nearest weeks. So they're ready for a surge. The Ukrainians are bracing for a tough winter and a surge in the spring. We know that, and we also got some insight because Trey Yanks was able to pull off a huge interview and sit down with the president of Ukraine in the Ukraine, in the capital. Uh, Trey Yanks, congratulations. Fox News foreign correspondent. Great interview, Trey. Thank you, Brian. Notice you walked it, no lights. What are conditions like in their, in their, uh, their main office building? That was the second time I had been in this building since the war began, and it's a heavily fortified complex near to the center of the Ukrainian capital, Kyiv. And you go through multiple military checkpoints with armed soldiers before you actually make it into the compound. And when you walk through the doors of this building, it's quite an old structure, but there are sandbags all along the hallways and weapons lined up for these soldiers to use if there is an attack on the building. And so it looked very similar to how it looked when I was there just days after the war began. And when we met with Ukrainian President Zelensky, he was quite relaxed. He had a variety of meetings scheduled for the day. But there's a real understanding that even though the capital of Kiev is not taking direct ground fire anymore, this could be a battlefield in the coming weeks or months if the Russians do decide to attack again from the north. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot uh, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, first off, you talk to a guy that, you know, this guy was a comedian, fun loving guy, great personality, big smile. He has all been game face over the last year. You also asked him about meeting with Vladimir Putin. And he said, yeah, I wanted to meet with him before, but not now. Why? Well, absolutely. I pressed him on this idea of peace talks because it's something that's just not taking place right now a simple conversation between the leader of Russia and the leader of Ukraine. And he said, look, this is a guy who wants to kill me. Why should I talk to him? And I continued to question him on conditions that would have to exist here in Ukraine before he would have those conversations and discussions. And he basically said the bottom line is that all Russian troops must leave Ukraine before he is willing to start peace talks. And I said to him, this appears to be a stalemate. You are unwilling to speak with the Russians until Russian forces leave your country. And Vladimir Putin is continuing with his invasion, even escalating it this week. So how does all of this end? What is the end? And he didn't really have a set answer of how it looks from his perspective, but he answered that the world should put more pressure on Russia. They should isolate the Kremlin. They should isolate officials in Moscow and ensure 
that they are so pushed to the side and unable to operate in the international community that behavior has changed and ultimately the conflict ends. It's yet to be seen if that strategy will work. Yeah, he says, let them withdraw and then we'll start talking. You also want, he always goes out of his way to make clear this is not just about the Ukraine. I 100% agree. Here's what he said. Cut 36. If Ukraine, if Ukrainian wall, and that, and I believe that's a global wall of democracy, this is what Ukraine is. Unfortunately, we are this leaving wall. That's what I would like to underline. If we will fall, this will be the start of the Third World War or the recognition of the fact that NATO member nations are standing by themselves on their own. They... I think a lot of these nations understand it. Moldova will fall. Georgia will be fully absorbed. Start pressuring the Baltic nations, infiltrating into their elections. If, and they're going to try to reconstitute some semblance of the Soviet Union. I, I think people in that area get that. But you're actually in the area. Trey, what do you think? Well, absolutely. And I think it's something that certain lawmakers get wrong in Washington when they talk about ending aid to Ukraine. Vladimir Putin has been very clear. He would like the Soviet Union to exist as it used to. He has called the collapse of the Soviet Union the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the 20th century. He has been very open about his aspirations to take land across Europe. And so Zelensky pointed to that in our interview yesterday in Kiev and used words that other leaders have started to use. World War III, the idea that the entire globe could be at war if Vladimir Putin expands his aspirations, as he has said that he would do. And so the president has a point here, and it's an objective point. And I think that a lot of times when we talk about aid to Ukraine, it gets wrapped up in politics. But we've seen with our own eyes and captured images on our cameras. We have the evidence to show what Russian forces are doing in this part of the world. They are slaughtering civilians. They are targeting residential areas. They are killing doctors, journalists, teachers, noncombatants. And there is no indication that they would stop with Ukraine, even if they were successful. And so that's the point that President Zelensky was trying to make, is that Vladimir Putin has much larger aspirations, and the entire world should care about that, because if the Russians attack a NATO country like Poland, for example— it would drag in the United States and other NATO countries to a larger conflict. Right. And they have to be saying to themselves, we can't handle Ukraine, not in NATO. If we hit a NATO nation, we'd be crushed beyond crushed. Uh, but of course, if you don't care about your people, you can just absorb a lot of losses. They have 156 million to, to die. Uh, Ukrainians, uh, Ukrainians are beginning to think that. Uh, or they're reporting now that Vladimir Putin told the military, I want the whole Donbass by March. How real is that? It is not surprising. That was one of the initial goals of Russian President Putin. I don't think tactically it's going to be possible. The losses are extremely high on both sides, especially the Russians. When you look at the past few weeks, they have been sending Mercenaries, Wagner Group fighters to the front lines in Bakhmut and Solidar, right along uh, the eastern line of contact. And these waves have been described as waves of zombies 
by the Ukrainian soldiers there because they say they just run at the Ukrainian machine gun positions, get mowed down until these Ukrainian soldiers are out of ammunition and then hope to take just a few hundred meters in a day or even sometimes a week. So the aspirations that Vladimir Putin has specifically in the Donbass, this eastern region of Ukraine, are not surprising, but they are going to be hard-pressed to take this territory from the Ukrainians in its entirety. They already control a portion of the Donbass region in Luhansk and Donetsk, these contested areas of eastern Ukraine. But in order to take the entire Donbass region, they would have to defeat the entire Ukrainian army along that line of contact. And it just doesn't seem realistic given the current conditions. So uh, I know you don't give military recommendations, but do you believe that we're at the point now, if you're going to give tanks, why not planes? If you're going to give HIMARS, why not attack them? Uh, you're right. It's not my call to make, but Ukrainian President Zelensky was very much of the mindset when we spoke with him yesterday that Ukraine needs these advanced weapons to win. And it's something that Ukrainian officials have talked about pretty extensively over the past several months and even since the war began. They have been very critical of the Biden administration and Ukraine's NATO allies across Europe about the way aid gets delivered. It often trickles into Ukraine in a very familiar way. And we've seen this with air defense systems. We have seen this with the mid-range missiles that have been provided to Ukraine and even the artillery units that until the Americans say yes and they sign off, European partners are hesitant to deliver that aid. NATO is trying to work hand in glove in this conflict and ensure that no country gets ahead of another country when it comes to supporting Ukraine militarily. So that's really the question moving forward is will the tide shift to the point where Ukraine's NATO allies provide things like fighter jets? The F-16 was a topic of conversation yesterday, and that's still up in the air because in the past, the Biden administration has said no to tanks. Mm -hmm. And now there are M1 Abrams tanks headed to Ukraine in the coming weeks. And so these things can change as the war develops, and there are calculations being made behind the scenes by NATO and key officials across the world about what type of support Ukraine needs to maintain and, as Zelensky said, ultimately win the war. So, Trey, uh, when you were done with the interview before and after and I had your takeaway, I was just wondering if you can give our listeners a sense of uh, Zelensky's mindset and the, the condition of the country, because you've been in and out of the country since the war began over the last year. Yeah, I've spent more than 150 days here since the war began, and it has been difficult to really wrap my mind around the level of suffering that's taking place here because it's so widespread. And I asked Zelensky this as a human, not just as a wartime leader, but how this affects him. How does it affect your mental health to be the target of a country like Russia? In the early days of this invasion, we were here in the capital of Kiev as paratroopers came into the outside of the city and tried to work their way through kill squads to take out Zelensky. And you could hear the gun battles in the streets. And Zelensky basically said he has to be strong. He has no other choice. And I think that sentiment can be applied to many Ukrainians that we've met. Because initially I described Ukrainian civilians that we met across the country as resilient. But I think when we describe the Ukrainian people as resilient, that is accurate. But it has to be addressed with a caveat. And that caveat is that they are resilient because they have to be resilient. They are facing 
such tragedy and trauma on an unimaginable scale. And I think that Zelensky embodied that spirit of they will continue the best they can to fight this war and push back the Russians as the invasion escalates in the days ahead. But it will be difficult, and thousands of innocent people will die in the process. Yeah, uh, and I just uh, I just think that so many people uh, are 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 looking to get out and saying, you know, American people famously get bored of war and they want it just to end, dating all the way back to eighteen twelve. Let's just end this, you know. So you, it goes over; it's the same cycle over and over again. Iraq, we know about that. So looking at this right now, the one thing that would lose American support if they were to find corruption, the money we're sending, the weapons we're, we're sending, end up in the wrong hands or resold. He has gone out of his way to crack down on corruption that I didn't know was happening. What is the level of corruption? How, how concerned was he? And what progress did he make in getting rid of it? It's a great question. And he talked about corruption on camera and these recent raids for the first time in our interview. Ukraine historically has been known as a country that has a lot of corruption, many oligarchs, a lot of money moving around behind the scenes. And it's certainly a concern and a reasonable concern for people to have. Because at the end of the day, it is very difficult to track this level of of money. But Zelensky has made clear he wants to address this, and he has taken specific steps in recent days and weeks to do so. He has dismissed a number of top officials. He has ordered raids on uh, different areas of Kyiv where businessmen who maybe had shady ties or ties to the black market were staying. And so he basically summed it up to me as, look, we cannot risk the support from our partners due to corruption. And I don't know enough about the corruption here to truly understand if his actions now are enough. Because in a country of more than 40 million people, these issues can run very deep. So I don't ever claim to speak on the issue with authority, but what we have seen over the past several days is Zelensky ordering these anti-corruption raids and dismissing a number of officials to at least send a message to American partners and to European partners that an effort is being made to address the issue of corruption. Trey Yanks, great job. Uh, Stay safe, Craig. Uh, Continue to do great work. Thank you, Brian. You got it. Hey, uh, just I announce this. Uh, the U.S. has just announced they're postponing Tony Blinken's, the Secretary of State's trip over to China in light of the surveillance balloon that was discovered in Montana. We'll have more of that when we come back. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. We are exactly one year away from the first Democratic primary of the 2024 presidential campaign. Yeah. Wow. The excitement in the room is palpable. American politics is relentless. They're like that friend of yours who's like, it's my birthday month. Right. Uh, And I think it must be odd because I kind of like the way... They do it in England. When you feel like you're strong, you call for an election. When you feel like you're weak, people demand you call for an election. Uh, in between, they keep going. Uh, and then they, but it's so short. I like the, the fact that it's so short, but this is 
it becomes a I guess part of this is money because you make so much money, you buy so many ads, you raise so much money, uh, and people get paid so much money. They staff up; those kind of people go on payroll. But there is uh, a, a, some news on 2025 I think is worthy of reporting. And there could be somebody else on the right getting in. Now we're waiting on Pompeo, waiting on Tim Scott. We are waiting on Mike Pence. I think it's all a layup and just a done deal. Nikki Haley's going to get in on the 15th. Listen to the mayor of Miami, Francis Suarez, cut 42. Look, you know, I'm strongly considering uh, running. Uh, it's something that I've discussed with my family. My family is on board, uh, but it's a process uh, that you have to, uh, you know, you have to undertake. Uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a leap of faith and something that you have to um, do your due diligence on because it's one of the most difficult gauntlets that a human being can put themselves through. Uh, but I, I love this country. Uh, I love the city that I was born and raised in. I'm the first mayor of Miami that was born in Miami, and I was blessed to be elected by 86% and reelected by close to 80% because I've stuck to three simple rules. I've kept taxes low in my city, uh, lowering taxes to the lowest rate in our history. Uh, I've kept people safe. We just finished the year with the lowest homicide rate per capita since 1964. Uh, and I've leaned into innovation. So that's uh, that's how he feels. Uh, and I I like him a lot. And he's another Republican. Doesn't really get along with Governor DeSantis. Rick Scott doesn't really get along with Governor DeSantis. So you might say, well, how are these Florida Republicans going to run against each other? It's really no problem. You know, who does get along with DeSantis is Rubio. They're, they're tight. I think Marco Rubio gets along with just about everyone. He even gets along with President Trump. I think he just does his job. Uh, not that Mayor Suarez doesn't do his job and Governor DeSantis does his job. But Governor DeSantis just says, this is what I'm doing. You come with me. If not, I'm perfectly okay with that. And this week he took on woke with Governor Chris Sununu said, I don't do that as governor. I don't get involved in woke politics. Not my job. Governor DeSantis said, I got a huge problem with the AP exam as it relates to this high school curriculum for African studies. Why do they have uh, African queer nation or whatever they call it? Why are they using Black Lives Matter? You look at it, but give me the counter. Give me the Shelby Steels. Give conservative thought and give liberal thought. Democratic thought and Republican thought. And he changed the curriculum. So it looks like another win, but of course the barbs come out and says, you're a racist. I have news for you. If you call everyone a racist, no one's a racist. I'm going to go with no one. We just, we see our point of view. Sooner or later we're going to realize it's so counterproductive to focus on everyone's heritage and skin color. Sooner or later. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. One of the latest hours, uh, the last hours of the week, one 408 7669 We booked Shannon Bream. Uh, she's going to talk about Fox News Sunday and handle anything we throw at her. And DeRoy Murdoch is going to be here from the Wall Street Journal. So we'll talk to DeRoy. He's going to be in studio. He also has a perspective on uh, the, what, the events that went down over in Memphis. So I got to say, just a, a quick announcement. It looks like that Chinese balloon has prompted surveillance balloon, the Secretary of State, uh, Anthony Blinken, to postpone his trip. Uh, so he will not be going there. This is getting to be a bigger deal by the moment while the President of the United States meets with his caucus along with the Vice President today. Big three time. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I am Muslim. I am an immigrant. And interestingly, from Africa. Is anyone surprised that I am being targeted? 
Yes. Omar out. Elon Omar on savory behavior and beliefs get her ousted from the Foreign Relations Committee, but not all committees. And in dramatic, dramatic fashion, the Democratic response unhinged. Number two. China has plenty of uh, low Earth orbit satellites that have much greater visibility and much higher clarity and can do a lot better spying than, than what this thing does. So that's why I think this is probably some sort of message. No kidding. China offensive. A spy balloon flies over our nuclear plant over in uh, Montana, goes through Canada, over Alaska, and Chinese companies are buying up our private schools. Chinese real estate companies are scooping up our land, some near military facilities, and putting hundreds of millions of dollars into our colleges. What will it take for this administration to realize we're looking at a slow-motion invasion? Number one. It seemed that the letter was an implicit admission I'd say almost an express admission that this was his data. I don't know why they didn't realize it up until now, the the import of what they had done. That is Andy McCarthy. The Hunter offensive blows up in their own camp as his attorney tried to walk back the laptop admission as links between his dad's papers and policies overlap with Hunter's antics. With me right now is a woman who's never given into antics temptation, Shannon Bream of Fox News Sunday. Oh, if you only knew, Brian. This if not, you only you knew. You never do anything unsavory. Is that correct? I wish that was true. I do. But I cannot. I, that's fake news. Hashtag fake so news. So I got to ask you just your, your perspective. When you got up on Thursday and you might have looked at the New York Post and thought, Hunter Biden says it's my laptop. <laughs> I mean, it's right. like, what? I mean, I thought it was a big deal when the Washington Post admitted it. And when Twitter revealed there was a big plot by the FBI to make sure they game planned against it. But this attorney who tried to walk it back later in the day, you're an attorney, Shannon, not an effective walk back. Well, it's just confusing. Like, I need you to prosecute all these people for stealing my car, which may or may not be my car. Yes. I mean, it's just confusing. I, I, you know, I mean, they had to know with the first statement they put out that people were going to read it that way. This sounds like an admission that that was his laptop. But uh, otherwise, what they're arguing is there's been a misuse of his property, which makes it sound like, OK, some of the stuff that was on that laptop, even if we're not talking about the laptop itself, like you can't go and sue a bunch of people for misusing private property if you also say, which it may not be my private property. <laughs> I'm confused. Right. So I feel bad for the for the computer store owner who's not at an easy time of it. No. You know, he tries to get a hold of Hunter. Hunter doesn't pick up. He sees what's on there. He says, I'm disturbed by it. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to give it to the FBI. Gets abrasive behavior. Doesn't hear anything from December and through the summer, decides to give it to Rudy Giuliani. And since that, his life has blown up. His business has suffered. And now he finds out he could be getting sued. Listen to John Paul Mac Isaac yesterday. Cut eight. I've been dealing with intimidation from all fronts for the last couple of years. So I've kind of gotten used to it. This, is, uh, this isn't as bad as being accused of being a traitor and, and working with Russia to affect an election. But it's pretty close. Yeah, and I think the the White House, on some level, in my humble opinion, must have pushed back and said, "Are you crazy? If you're going to get, if you're going to sue, this is going to be a, a, a civilly or anything, you're going to say, okay, tell us how you got hurt. Let's look at the emails. Let's examine them together, and let's see how hurt you are by the examination of some of these business dealings that we've seen. Let alone the hookers and the crack smoking and everything else that's in there." Is he, is he going to like that phase of this investigation? Well, it makes you wonder, okay, so then what is the letter really about? Because if you get into those kinds of 
legal wranglings, you are going to have discovery, which means everybody's going to be able to, as you said, look at all the stuff and talk about it. Was it legit? Was it not? I mean, there's going to be a process in which you dig into this stuff. So is the letter something else? Do they fear or have some hint that maybe some legal action against Hunter is coming? We know he's been under investigation for a couple of years. Just the timing, the whole thing is weird. So it just makes me think they know something we don't that's potentially coming with regard to Hunter. So at one point, um, I say this every day, do you think we're going to have a spy balloon story? And most days they go, no, nothing. And then today I asked, and they go, yeah, (laughs) there is a spy balloon story. So over Montana, of course. So as usual, I predicted it. So we got the spy balloon story, and so serious is it that um, the Pentagon's recommended to the president reportedly that we don't blow it up with an F-22 because they're worried about a debris field. A lot right. of people question that. Number two, uh, they have canceled the secretary of state or postponed the secretary of state's trip over to China because it's gone down. We understand over the over Alaska, the, the Aleutian Islands, over the northern part of Canada. And now it, it sits there in Montana. As we wait to find out what happens, let's just say this is not a good thing, Right. Well, I did talk to someone at the Pentagon last night who said there is danger in shooting this thing down. Well, you don't want it coming down on a kindergarten, say. I mean, it would have a large um, debris field, as you said. But, yeah, now China this morning is like, hey, it's mainly a civilian thing. It monitors the weather. It got off track. Like, a different continent is not off track. I mean, that ah. that is more than most people are going to buy. The Pentagon's not buying it. They don't think, you know, it's what China wants to make it out to be. And as our Jennifer Griffin has reported, we've apparently known about this for some period of time. So my question is, like, when did it show up in Alaska? Where did it come across? You know, uh, what were we thinking this whole time? Because the question is, did China want us to see it? Is it sort of a message to us? Or was were they really hoping to gain some intel, some information through this thing? I don't know. It's collecting weather data. It's snowing in Montana. That's what they're going to find out. Yes. Or is it weather data or is it surveillance data? And then right. people have pointed out that they could get the same thing from satellites because it gets within 300 miles of the earth. And we're all mm-hmm. looking uh, allowed to do all this stuff. I'm sure to a degree we're doing it from them. The other big story is Elon Omar. Uh, by a vote, unanimous vote on the Republican side, she is now out on the Foreign Relations Committee. And the squad really took a measured tone. Cut 30. This is about targeting women of color in the, in the United States of America. Don't tell me because I didn't get a single apology when my life was threatened. Thank you. Let me the make gentlewoman's it time has expired. Ilhan Omar is right where she belongs. The gentlewoman's Her time has expired. Is needed on the Foreign Affairs Committee. Her clarity, conviction, The gentlewoman's time has expired and she is no longer recognized. The GOP is now doing what it is best at weaponizing hate against a black, beautiful Muslim woman. The gentlewoman's time has expired. I will not be silenced. The gentlewoman's time has expired. To Congressman Omar, I am so sorry, expired. that our country is failing you today through this chamber. You belong in The gentlewoman is no longer recognized. So I think they took that well, and uh, I think that tone's gotten really, really appreciated. Crying and screaming to, and screaming. Well, she can be on a lot of other committees. Everybody's established that. She's not getting kicked out of Congress. She's not getting kicked off of being on any committee. Um, and listen, the Democratic leadership 
uh, Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, now the top Democrat there in the House, is saying she apologized. She, you know, they've talked about her evolution in thinking. She says she was unaware that some of the things that she said would be viewed as offensive. They say this is years ago. And listen, another Republican, I can't remember which one, was on the floor yesterday and said, you guys, we warned you years ago when you changed the rules for kicking people off committees that this would come back and get you someday. And now it's your turn. So the truth is, whichever party is running the House gets to make these decisions. All right, uh, Shannon Bream, we're going to be traveling together. Uh, I'm going to be on your plane. No, we're going to be traveling out to Arizona to cover the Super Bowl. It's a Fox Super Bowl this year. It's going to be your first as host of Fox News Sunday. You're going to be on the field. I think I'm going to be in the vicinity doing Fox and Friends at the Love same it. time. Where, and you're going to be probably on Fox and Friends. You just a walk over and promote in person. It'll be fun. We hope the weather will be palatable. And I'm just yeah. going to offer something. Did you watch wrestling as a kid? Uh, my dad loved it. Okay. Do you, do you remember the tag teams? Like yeah, a tag sure. team, yeah. yeah. Is that going to be you and me? Right. So what happens is when you go in there and you start losing, you could tag another guy. Oh, I And the like other that. person comes in until they start losing, and then they tag you back. It's a, it's just, it's a brilliant Wait. way that Vince McMahon found a way to sell wrestling. Okay, but are we going to get, like, matching costumes and stuff? Well, listen, if we hear me out. Because I'm all about that. Hear me out. So if you're on – this is what I like to offer – if you have a panel and it's going and you say to yourself, this, this person's weak, this guy's weak, every time I throw mm-hmm. to him, it's so generic, mm-hmm. I'm going to say you could tag me in. And I will sit okay. in the background and you just say, Brian, go and, and explain to your panel, if you don't deliver, Kilmeade's coming off the bench. And you'll recognize some people who are on the panel. They might be intimidated by this. Who? I just want to tell you that you'll recognize these people. Could it be the and football be guys? they're in person, so I'm just going to say there might be a physical altercation if you decide to come onto the set. But oh. that's what wrestling's about. But don't you if want a promo? Got the outfit, don't you well, want? A... I don't. I guess we can. Um, one, Mr. Bill Hemmer, who we know and love, and Clay Travis is going to be with us too. So you think I'm afraid of them? Um, mentally, no. Physically, maybe. Mentally, no. Um, so <laughs> I think intellectually you feel ready to match with, with these guys. Well, I don't know though. I haven't seen your wrestling moves or costume. I don't even know the name of your character persona, whatever it is. It'll yet. be me. And I'm just, I'm just going to wear a unitard. Okay. Um, what color? Is it going to um, be like one of those ones, like college wrestling, college, high school, whatever wrestling, like the onesies? No, it's going to be something a little bit different. I'm going to be dressed like, I believe more dusty roads, uh, Ivan Koloff. Woo! Right, so, I love it. I can't wait. And I'm sure we're going to bedazzle, though. If your costume doesn't have some bedazzling on it, I always have my bedazzle gun with me, so I can zhuzh up whatever you're wearing. I've always seen the commercial. I wonder if it was that easy to work. So, lastly, are you going to be interviewing the president? Uh, at this moment, no, but things could change. Things could change at any moment. If it does happen, you have one person endorsing you. Shannon's perfect for this. You know, I got to tell you, she is as smart as a whip. I and she's you know she's that sort of iron fist in a silk glove. So that is one interview I will not miss. Jonathan Turley, one hour ago on this very show. Oh my goodness! I paid him off. He was on our show last week. Slipped him, you know, a hundy, and you know, you get what you pay for. All right, Uh, Shannon. Either way, I look forward to seeing you in person. I wonder if you're as nice as you seem on television and radio. Most people say no, but you can find out. And and I'll report live back to my audience. (laughs) 
All right. Have a great weekend. I'll see you Saturday night and then on Sunday. Absolutely. Uh, Fox News Sunday. And by the way, Saturday night, thank you, Shannon, uh, on One Nation, amongst our great guests will be uh, Mike Pompeo. Bill Malusian is going to come to us uh, from the border after these committee hearings and one half of uh, one party saying there really is no problem at the border. It's just a matter of Republicans grandstanding. I just said, Bill Malusian, you're there every day. You got to weigh in. Then we're going to go out. Michael Loftus put together his own SNL troupe. Remember when SNL was funny? Michael Loftus put together this great skit show. We're going to go out and bring you inside and backstage and uh, and actually have you laugh. And we're also going to talk to Micro. So it's going to be a great show. And remember, this uh, this is uh, Black History Month. The 1619 Project is now on Hulu. It is a anti-American effort put together by Nicole Hannah-Jones. We have a very important pushback on 1619 with the author of 1620. All right, all coming up on One Nation, 8 o'clock Eastern Time on Saturday night. Don't miss a minute. Back in a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we are back, one 408 So we have a lot going on. This Chinese balloon is a bigger deal than anyone even thought. Uh, we're talking about what's happened with the Hunter revelations. Oh, the laptop's real. If you didn't think Twitter was revealing enough about them game-planning against it, now we got them admitting it. Uh, and then we have, of course, 2024. Kevin, listen in Dayton, Ohio. Hey, Kevin. Hey, how you doing, Brian? Good. What's on your mind? I'm concerned about NATO because I keep seeing these reports every day about uh, Greece and Turkey on the verge of a shooting war over their coast guards. What happens if NATO falls apart? What do we I don't do? think it's close to falling apart. In fact, it's bulking up. Uh, Sweden and Finland are supposed to join, and guess who's stopping it? Turkey. But Erdogan's got an election coming up. I don't think it's going to work uh, for him to hold off for too much longer. He's trying just to extort F-16s from us or something to, to that nature. I think for the most part... Uh, you look at Poland doing a ton, Germany not doing enough, and the U.S. doing a lot, more than anybody else, but doing it too slow. And the U.K. not doing enough, but they, they are on basically the bat. They're, uh, they're on their butts economically. So France doesn't have much militarily, but I do think NATO is pretty strong. Uh, they will not let Russia win this. There's no question they won't let uh, Russia win this. Ben, listening in Michigan. Hey, Ben. Yeah, Brian, listen. This Chinese balloon, spy balloon, is flying overhead. Can you imagine if the same thing was flying over China? I mean, they would blow that thing out of the sky and, and not even think twice about it. Uh, I'd say uh, drop that sucker now. And they're talking about – they're worrying about debris. Come on. It's flying over Montana, for goodness sake. What then Montana except maybe about a few thousand people and some cattle. I mean, just blow the thing out of the sky. Send China a message. You can't do this to us. Uh, they, I know. I mean, think about this. Uh, you have also them going into, I did not even know this till this week, they're buying up boarding schools and private schools and, and, and changing the curriculum while putting hundreds of millions into colleges. When are we going to wake up? Exactly. I'm, I'm sick of this. You know, stop cowpowing and let them know. Give, give them a message. Trump gave them a message. We need to send that message right back to them. I hear you. Thanks so much for the call. I appreciate it. So in terms of what I was talking about, here, here's an example Michael Waltz was talking about this last night with Laura. Laura, cut 12. Chinese-backed private equity are buying up boarding schools, private schools, 
uh, in secondary education all over Florida, New York, California, from what we can tell, and many of them have junior ROTC programs. So this is a, this is a double win uh, for the Chinese Communist Party. One, they're now putting Confucius Institutes basically into our elementary schools and high schools and uh, having propaganda platforms to the next generation of America, including our military leaders going through the ROTC program, and they get to send their elites there, uh, you know, at, at, at probably a reduced cost. So this is a double win for them, Laura. This is part of the broader assault of the Chinese Communist Party buying up America. Yeah, they are. And we know about the hundreds of millions of dollars they're putting into colleges. Why? To get their people in or to make them or saddle them when things come up negative about China, not to report it, not to teach it, not to go over it. Or number two, if you think about this, you also have this big climate push, which has become like a religion. You have a bunch of these zealots coming out of high school who subscribe to the 1619 Project and uh, subscribe for their life mission to rid ourselves of the combustion engine, oil and gas. At the same time, you have people like George Soros making sure these major cities don't have any law enforcement. You're emptying the prisons, putting these weak DAs out there that refuse to enforce crimes. This is, we're being destroyed from the inside out. And I think it's just a matter of sobering up and taking action and things will fall back into place. But first, uh, the first move, being aware. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. How are they going to keep crime down? in the black community and at the same time not be tough and rough well they do it the same way they do it on the white side of memphis and they keep the crime down without being rough and tough how do you have the same department then keep crime down on one side of town without beating folk to death but you can't do it on the other side of town unless you feel that you can get away with it there I can't speak for everybody in Memphis. I can't speak for everybody gathering. But for me, I believe if that man had been white, you wouldn't have beat him like that that night. Five black guys beat it would seem to be an innocent uh, black guy to death. We've seen it on video. We don't know what precipitated it yet. I'm sure we'll get that. But um, Tyree seemed to be a guy that was uh, spent his time skateboarding, photography, working full-time at FedEx had absolutely no record. He did not deserve that fate, nor does anybody. But I thought we were devoid of race in this issue because everybody there was of the same race. But obviously, as you just heard, that's not the case. With me right now is Deroy Murdoch. Uh, Deroy, great to see you. Always great to have you in studio. You wrote about this. What I is did, your takeaway? I did, Brian. Thanks. It's always good to be with you. I have a piece on American Spectator's uh, website, spectator.org. And uh, my headline is um, uh, Ty- Tyree Nichols fatally beaten by invisible white people. Uh, and that's what the left has been able to cook up out of the situation. Tyree Nichols, a black man, as you say, uh, rode a skateboard photographer. He was uh, on his way home to his uh, mom and stepfather's house after going and f- 
photographing the sunset in a park. What a beautiful thing he was doing. He wasn't involved in gangbanging or drugs or whatever. Uh, and he's got a website with his photog- photography. You can take a look. It's really, really beautiful photos. Uh, it's very sad, terrible, <clears throat> awful to see the atrocity this man suffered. But the perpetrators were five black cops. There are no white people involved. And yet this has been turned into an example of white supremacy and white nationalism and all that. And the left will not there's nothing that they can do without bringing race into it and creating a racial situation where none exists. And what's very odd about this, this concept that these black cops were somehow possessed by white supremacy, what they've done is completely withdrawn and, and, and just uh, eviscerated any idea that these black cops have any moral agency. Uh, if they are in fact victims of uh, white supremacy so much so that somehow white supremacy causes them to attack and beat and kill this black man, then essentially what these folks are saying, Al Sharpton and the rest of them, uh, that uh, they're puppets and that these are like marionettes and the white folks are pulling their strings and they're incapable of controlling themselves, incapable of making any moral decisions and uh, that if you're black, you're basically controlled by white people. And that to me is a condescending and in fact deeply racist and anti-black You concept. write for the National Review. This one is in – uh, I write for National Review as well as American Spectator. Okay, so. okay good. Uh, here's Whoopi Goldberg weighing in. Cut twenty. Cut thirty nine. Do we need to see white people also get beaten before anybody will do anything? I'm not suggesting that. So don't write us and tell me what a you know what a racist I am. I'm just asking: is that is that what people have to see in order to wake up and realize this affects us all? Astonishing. Yeah. I mean, what are, we, what are you talking about? Nobody thinks that is good. Nobody thinks that unit acted correctly. We heard the audio. These guys were incensed. They r- tried to rip him out of the car. And one of the things he said is, you're doing a lot right now. Little did he know that they get, he'd get 70 commands in 13 minutes. Most, a lot of them were contradictory. So he got up, he ran for his life, got caught up, and they took his life. I would hope at one point we could just be together on saying how unacceptable that is. Yeah, I mean, look, we ought to be unified on on pointing out what an awful, horrible, and disgusting situation this was, that these are total monsters. Tennessee happens to have the death penalty. I hope they're all convicted of murder and executed. Justice here would be for those five cops to be shot or uh, or, or uh, given the uh, injection or, or, or gas or whatever they do in Tennessee. They absolutely deserve that. We all should agree on this. Number one. Number two, we ought to talk about what can we learn from this in terms of police training, in terms of discipline, in terms of punishing bad cops, rewarding good cops. And we, I think, can have very constructive a discussion about that. When we blame whitey and we say, oh, there's all a white thing, what we do is go back to what we always do in this country, which is have a big, long, ugly, drawn-out uh, uh, screaming match over race rather than anything constructive like how do we make good cops better and get bad cops off their forces. And, and you know what's going to happen. There's going to be a big pullback in those African-American areas and the pro uh, the pro um – the preemptive policing, getting in there on your feet, getting to meet the town, getting to know the people. No one's going to say, I'm not going to do it. And then these people that are lined up to do the academy, we're ready to go and go, I'm not going to try it. And then we're about 4,000 cops down in New York, about 400 down in New Orleans. They have to hire outside cops to come in for Mardi Gras and hire private security. It's crazy everywhere across the country. So we have to find a way to get on top of this. I just see it all going down the same way. And, DeRoy, logic tells you with all the interaction between officers and civilians, something's going to happen in three more weeks, and the result's going to be less proactive policing. No one wins on this. 
I think you're right about that. And I saw this awful uh, monstrosity thing happen, and I thought, well, great. This is going to fire up the defund the police people. This is going to fire up all the folks who say the cops need to stay at their desks and not be out on the streets. And guess what happens when this takes place? Black people suffer. Uh, we have seen since the George Floyd, Floyd riots and Black Lives Matter and all the defunding and so on, uh, we've seen a huge explosion in murder. And most of those people are being killed, or many of them, a disproportionate number of them being killed, are blacks and Hispanics. This is a, a not good for black people when the cops withdraw and uh, innocent, uh, law-abiding black people get killed often by black murderers. You see it on the subways. You see it uh, folks walking down the street. New Orleans, you mentioned they're having to import cops. New Orleans is now the murder capital of America, that wonderful city which I visited every every year for uh, Jazz Fest. And now people are terrified to walk down the streets in New Orleans. Many, Most of those people are black, and they're suffering because of these ideas, these terrible policies that are putting um, – uh, putting uh, crosshairs on black Americans across the country. Got a terrible mayor, too, in New Orleans. Terrible. Awful. All right. So I know you're going to be writing about uh, most likely writing about reparations in California and the in, un, infeasibility of it. And I think the backwards looking way in which we're approaching our past. We used to talk about melting pot all the time in school. Everybody used to take great pride. Oh, you're Hispanic, you're Asian or, you know, whatever uh, we were calling saying Chinese and Japanese back then, whatever it was. So we would just say, and how everyone came together and we became better for it, and we used to salute Little Italy and all these different enclaves. But now that seems to be different. There seems to be some type of force that's determined to point out differences between us. And uh, I'm fascinated to get your take on what's happening in Florida. The governor came out and said, listen, what's going on with the African Studies AP exam in these high schools? What's going on with the curriculum? I have no problem with African-American studies, but what's with it? And he said, what's the problem? Because why are you doing queer studies? Why are you doing the history of Black Lives Matter, the the queer experience? Why are you talking about uh, equity? That's not what should be in a curriculum. Where's the conservative thought? Where's the Shelby Steele, the DeRoy Murdoch? Do we have any type of counterbalance? And they changed it. And now people are calling Ron DeSantis a raging racist. Sounds familiar, right? Well, look, he, he could uh, visit the, the grave of Martin Luther King and lay roses there, and they'd still call him a racist. No matter what he does, is racist, according to these people. Look, I'm all for teaching the good, the bad, and the ugly of, of, of American history. We ought to talk about slavery. We should talk about Jim Crow. We should talk about the Civil Rights Movement. But we ought to also should be talking about black success. And now despite all of this— How about that? How about that? Despite the difficulties and justices and pain, somehow at the moment we've had a black president for— uh, eight years in the White House, elected and reelected comfortably. We right now have a black vice president. Uh, the House Democrats are led by Hakeem Jeffries. Last I check, he's black. Uh, the Pentagon, pretty big government agency, is run by a black man. So there is tremendous black success and has been for decades, really for centuries in many respects. And people on the left, the Black Lives Matter people, just want to talk about slavery, Jim Crow. And according to their – in their world, uh, life never got beyond 1954 in Alabama. Right. And I think this guy named Tim Scott is going to be announcing probably in a month or two that he's running for president of the United States. Why? Because he's putting such an effective center. That's it. Uh, I want to bring you to the media's reaction to what the, uh, what the governor decided to do. Now, listen, Governor Sununu came out and said on, these, on this show, I don't, uh, I don't think you should be worrying about woke if you're a governor. That's different opinions among the same party. So listen to the media's reaction. Unfortunately, you know, Governor Sanders has been very, very clear. He has what just appears to be a white nationalist agenda. It's never been about this course. The governor was very clear. African-American studies doesn't have educational value. He's basically sacrificing the education of a whole generation of people. He's trying for, to. For, the, for his ambition. It's a right-wing fantasy land, like Disney World, but in hell. Come to Florida, the meanest place on earth. <laughs> Disney <laughs> World in hell. <laughs> 
That's hilarious. Look, if Ron DeSantis hated black people, he would not have run on and then delivered on the promise of school choice. The reason Ron DeSantis won the first time uh, was he uh, he went after black women uh, who, who call themselves school choice moms. Didn't go after them. We would have to win them over. Uh, win them over. Yeah, went <laughs> after them in terms of uh, asking for their votes. And uh, in fact, he won, I think the number was something like 18 or 19 percent, I think it was, of the uh, black female vote, which was way, way higher than the black male vote. And these were black moms who wanted their kids to get educated. And he delivered on that promise, and Florida now has a very, very uh, robust and effective school choice program, most of whose beneficiaries are not white folks but minorities. And you've got a lot of black moms and black dads who are having uh, the opportunity to send their kids to schools where they actually might learn something, and they appreciate that. If Ron DeSantis were a big racist, he would let the kids stay in their uh, ineffective, failing government schools, not learn anything, and not be able to get ahead. You know, if, if you're David Duke or you're somebody like George Wallace, you don't want black people studying and succeeding and moving up the ladder. You want to keep them dumb and uh, remote and isolated so they can stay down there and be controlled. Ron DeSantis is doing the exact opposite, which is not racist behavior. This is a uh, very positive, uh, supportive uh, behavior of black people. So Dory Murdoch here. Uh, he is uh, talking about his column about the horrible uh, circumstances in Memphis. And we're just just as continue to talk about race for a second. As you look at what's happening right now in this country, I, I went up to some politicians right before Election Day and I just said, you know, why don't you guys focus more on black areas? Because Republicans just don't go. And they told me, I've tried. We go in, great conversations, go to the churches, go to the families. People couldn't be nicer and they vote the same way. They are thoroughly frustrated. There's a sense in the black community in certain areas, not for all, obviously, that if I vote Republican, I've sold out. Do you do you have you heard that? And number one, if you're a Republican, how do you change that? Well, you know, we've heard that. Uh, oh, you're a sellout. You're an Uncle Tom, et cetera. I mean, pe- people like us, uh, black conservatives, hear that. I've heard that for years and years. Uh, I think it is very helpful for black, for GOP candidates, conservative candidates, to go into black the black uh, neighborhoods, knock on doors, uh, present yourself. You're not going to get 100 percent of the black vote. You're not going to get 50 percent. But if you get 15 or 20 percent of the black vote, there's a very good chance you win the election because you draw such a huge chunk out of the Democrat base that the Democrats just can't recover. Uh, when Donald J. Trump ran in 2020, won 19% uh, of the black male vote, enormous number. I think he won 8 or 9% of the black, black female vote. Now, obviously, he came up short uh, ultimately, but uh, he's made great he made great uh, strides in that area. He also did things like opportunity zones, like increasing funding for historically black colleges and universities. So there's a very positive story that uh, uh, GOP and conservative candidates can make. And really the best argument on it is school choice and talk about, you know, just go into black neighborhoods and say, are your kids learning? Are they in safe schools? Are you happy with what's going on at your local elementary or junior high or high school? And if you're not, vote for me and I'll give you school choice options, which is something Democrats hate because the teachers unions hate them and the Democrats will do whatever the teachers unions want. And that, I think, is the key right. for increasing the black vote uh, for Republicans. This is off the top of my head I'm remembering. But earlier this week, the charter schools, which benefit primarily black and Hispanic kids, there's uh, 12 ready to go. The governor will not approve them. There was, they, are, they only get a third into the charter schools that apply. It breaks everybody's heart when they don't get in. They feel like they let down their kids, so they're going to open up 12 more. And it doesn't look like it's going to get green-lighted. But yet it benefits the people that you would think Democrats call their base. How do you get your head around it? It is all about the teachers' unions. Yeah, that's it. And these Simple politicians that. need the teachers' unions. They fund it, and therefore they own them. 
Look, Democrats couldn't care less about little black boys and little black girls. What they care about is keeping the money coming from Randy Weingarten and the teachers unions. That's what they want. Those are their campaign funds as well as their campaign volunteers. And if that means that the minds of little black boys and little black girls have to be crushed in the balance, that's A-OK with the Democrat Party. That's the kind of message the GOP should talk about and ask black moms and dads, are you happy with what the education or non-education your kids are getting? And if you're not, stop voting for the Democrats who are interested in basically paying off uh, politicians to make sure school choice doesn't happen and keep kids in schools where they don't learn anything. They're often unsafe. They get beaten up. They get robbed, what have you. Sometimes they get killed and uh, terrorized by gangs. And Republicans are interested in giving parents the option to – Go to those schools if they like them or get vouchers, et cetera, and take their kids elsewhere. The Democrats hate this because they want to keep the teachers union money uh, teachers union money coming. Little black boys and little black girls be damned. Big story in the New York Post today. There were 350 felonies in city schools this past year, including 90 over the last three months. You know, you're talking about assault. You're talking about murder. You're talking about uh, grand theft auto. I mean, these are felonies. How do you expect kids to go to school or people to teach in those schools? If you told me I'm a teacher, I'm going to get paid less to go into the city and put my sanity at stake and my safety, I'm going to go out to the suburbs. Sure, absolutely. Well, you're, you're basically what you're saying, Brian, is that uh, our uh, government schools are turning into crime scenes. And uh, you're right. A lot of teachers will say, look, I don't want to do that. I'm either going to get out of the teacher's profession or uh, go find a nice job in Westchester or Long Island or something like that. But think of the little kids who don't have that option. They don't don't have the opportunity to get up to Scarsdale or go out to East Hampton. And so they're in Brooklyn or they're in the Bronx or in Harlem or something like that. And that's those are the only schools they can go to. And uh, their parents don't have the means to say, all right, we're going to send you the Catholic school or the you know, charter school or success academy or what have you. We need we should do the. Uh, basically let the money follow the students, not the system, and put like they're doing in Arizona. Give every kid uh, – uh, basically take the uh, budget for the edu- for education, divide it by the number of students. Every student gets that amount of money. And if you want to go to local school, great. If you want to go to a, a charter school or you want to go to a private right. school, Catholic school, whatever, you do that and that's how you get educated. And that's how you right. succeed in America. And if you want to study history, success – is directly related to education. Absolutely right. And you're not going to, almost never going to have it uh, if you don't if you don't have that fundamental and if you don't thirst for it or be able to get it. If you want to equal the playing field, let everyone have an equal shot in the classroom. That's the way to do uh, it. DeRoy Murdoch, thanks so much. If people want to read your stuff anytime, anywhere, where do they go? Uh, spectator.org, foxnews.com, Google my name, and you'll see op-eds popping up uh, all the time. Back in a moment to wrap up the hour. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, don't forget to watch One Nation this weekend. It's going to be an unbelievable show. Uh, I'm going to go tonight. We're going to do a package on it. Uh, Mike Loftus, you see him all over the channel. We covered a special on Fox Nation. He put together a skit show that is fantastic. This uh, guy has a he's great manufacturer, friends with Mike. He says, listen, I got an extra warehouse. If you want to put a stage in here and make a theater, go ahead. And he did. And they put together a series of shows. He's a big writer for Kevin James, best friends with all the, all the guys you see on Grown Ups. And he's a fantastic stand-up. And he put together this sketch show, and it's just fantastic. It's like a little like Gutfeld in that it's funny, an equal opportunity offender, and they care most about comedy. It's the way SNL is. I mean, it used to be with, with Aykroyd and, and Will Ferrell before it started going way left. So I'm going to do a feature on that. 
Uh, we're going to have uh, Bill Malusian from the border after the Democrats say it's racist. that you want to crack down on the border? Also have an interview with Mike Pompeo about this weather balloon in China, as well as this report out of Afghanistan that, get this, President Kahani was given $100 million not to put up a fight against the Taliban by the UAE, by Qatar, excuse me. So I'm going to get to the bottom of that and find out what, you know, Mike Pompeo knows all that. And then have an interview with the author of 1620, which is the comeback and pushback on the 1619 Project, uh, a way of getting our history right. Uh, hopefully you'll watch. It's been one year since One Nation went on. Thanks so much for listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.